I want to find the joy in what I'm doing because that for me is an indication that I'm on the right path. Essentialists, aspiring essentialists, and struggling essentialists out there who are trying, sometimes just barely getting through, designing a life that really matters. With all that noise, with all those obstacles, the tempting non-essentials, all the heightened emotions that we see within the country and around the world, this conversation with Ariana Huffington could not be more red-hot relevant. Conversation around how can we thrive in this challenging, uncertain environment. Ariana and I have been friends for a long time now. I first knew her when she was building HuffPost into this global phenomenon. But it's been the work post that that has been particularly impressive for me. Just think of the Thrive Global platform. 40,000 people who are choosing to write, to contribute around the conversation of redefining success. Success isn't just doing the stuff out there. It's getting the order of prioritization right. It's protecting the asset first. It's building relationships with the people that matter most next. And then also being selective about the priority projects that you put your energy on. Or at least that's how I see the Thrive Global Movement as an essentialist. What's particularly inspiring to me is how well Ariana has developed and continues to grow a community, turning an idea into a place where people can grow and develop that conversation. That's exactly what this podcast is about. Now let's get to this show. I hope that you enjoy the conversation. Okay, we've made it work. It's amazing, isn't it? All the steps we need to go through. The conversation will be the easy part. Yeah, exactly. I feel like any learning that any of us have make us experts because we're so we're also new at some of these technologies we're using now. But we kind of love it, right? I mean, I never want to go to anything else. <laughs> You're enjoying the changes. Yes. <laughs> you seem... I know you're literally at home, but you seem at home at home. Yes, I'm at home at home. Let me first of all, though, start by saying how much I love you and your work and uh, how completely and urgently important more than ever your message is now. And we can discuss that in more depth in our conversation. And yes, I feel that all my life I have really worked and uh, sometimes more successfully and sometimes less so to be connected with something deeper in myself. And um, at a time like this, we all have to. It's like it's very hard to get through these times, navigate a time of unbelievable uncertainty uh, without being connected to a deeper place, a center in ourselves, which is a place of strength and peace and wisdom and trust. And nobody that I know lives there all the time, but we all have access to it. You're saying that really these times call forth that kind of reaction within us. Absolutely. I mean, it's always important. It's always for me at the heart of a good life, you know, of a a life that... um, that actually 
focuses on the essentials. But right now, uh, without that, the levels of anxiety and stress become really hard to bear. It's like we're all involuntary essentialists now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, but for those of us who had chosen it uh, are, in, are more at home than those on whom this is thrust. <laughs> yes, that, that, that's right. It, you know, in a crisis, everyone's an essentialist, but those that chose to be essentialists earlier still have the advantage of being more familiar with this and there's less disruption in a time of discombobulating disruption. Exactly, because for so many of us, for most of us actually, and to some extent for all of us, being busy and living in the shallows and um, relentlessly and breathlessly going through our to-do lists was the way we lived. And uh, it's now very hard to live that way. And we pay a much, much heavier price if we do. I agree with everything that you're saying here. There was something you said earlier about all through my life, you said, and then the good life. And it puts me in mind to a question I wanted to ask, because we could go through the bio, right? Best-selling author of Thrive and 14 other books and the founder of Huffington Post and founder and CEO now of Thrive Global. I could do all of that, but somehow that misses the more important bio, the story, and if you're willing, I'd like to do it in an unusual way. I'd like to do a sort of intergenerational bio. I'd like you just to start me off right at the beginning. And I mean by the beginning, actually, just tell me about your grandparents. So uh, my grandparents were all uh, Greeks. Um, on my mother's side, Greeks from Georgia in Russia. Yes. And... Um, my mother was uh, born in Greece and met my father when she was recovering from TB and he was recovering from having spent the Second World War in a concentration camp in Germany because he was a journalist and he had been writing against the German occupation. So they, they came together in this... Um, very raw circumstances. And my mother definitely has been the foundation of my existence in every respect. She definitely was an essentialist, Greg. She would have loved you. And um, she she had a, a real sense of what mattered in life. And at, at a time when I was totally swallowed by <laughs> everything I was doing, and she kept reminding me her favorite expression was don't miss the moment. Um, and she kept reminding me of what mattered. So that was kind of the way I was brought up. Um, also, she was the one who always encouraged me to go for my dreams, but always made me feel that if I didn't succeed, it didn't matter. Life is about more than success in material terms. So that's how, in fact, I did a, we have a podcast called Meditative Story. And mine is about this pivotal moment when with her help, I applied to go to Cambridge. Tell me about that. Well, it was, uh, it was one of those kind of 
magical moments when I saw a picture of Cambridge University in a magazine and I told my mother I wanted to go there. And everybody else I said that to said, don't be ridiculous. You can't go there. You don't speak English. You don't have any money. And um, even English girls have a hard time getting into Cambridge. But my mother said, let's find out how you can um, learn English and how we can get a scholarship. And But it was an adventure. You know, it was never like we must make that happen. It was like, let's try that. And, and if it doesn't happen, we'll go on another adventure. She was a believer with you when this little moment, this sort of revelatory moment comes to you, this possibility that seemed against all odds, she supported you. Yes. My whole point was go for it. Uh, Go for it 100%. But with that peace of mind that um, if, if you don't get into Cambridge, it's not the end of the world. I'm really touched by that story, surprisingly emotional about it, because I had an experience when I was um, a little older than you were at that time, a couple of years older, and uh, I was with my um, with my wife, and uh, we'd actually gone to church, and somebody there mentioned uh, that they were at Stanford Law School, and that was the, like it was like an absolutely crescendo moment for me. I never spoke to them or anything else, but just what if that's where I should go? And that was so unrealistic for me at the time. My GPA did not support that sort of thinking, but it was a a material moment, a game changer. Yes, it sounds like Cambridge was a was an early game changer for you. Yes, exactly, a complete uh, game changer, because suddenly I started thinking and writing in English, which uh, obviously, if you want to have a message that resonates with a lot of people, it's hard to do it in Greek. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really true. And also, but I'm now extrapolating here, but also just the sense of possibility. If you can go from from Athens to, to Cambridge against all odds, then why not the next dream that's put in you? Why not something else that's marvelous? Has it been like that for you? Yes, absolutely. And also, and just as important, I think, is not being afraid to take risks, which is what often stops us from going after big dreams. And in a way, you know, when I left the Huffington Post to go back to launching another startup, I mean, it would have been very easy to say, as a lot of my friends urged me, why are you doing that? You know, why do you need to take such a big risk? Uh, what if it doesn't work? Um, but I think that's where following your heart and seeing an unmet need, which is what so often drives me, um, means that, yeah, I'll take the risk. And, and so what if I fail? And that takes us back to what is a good life. And that was really the point of Thrive, you know, the book I wrote. In terms of just money and status, then yes, you are much more reluctant to take risks. But if you define it in terms of having an impact and in, and constantly evolving and gathering more wisdom, um, then why not? This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. I, I love that. I don't think I'd ever made that connection before in the Work and Thrive. F- fill those in that, that aren't familiar with the story that sparked the Thrive book, and then, of course, from there, the Thrive movement. Tell us about the, the story that you begin Thrive with. So I begin the story with um, me collapsing uh, two years into building the Huffington Post, the divorced mother of two daughters, and hitting my head on my desk, breaking my cheekbone. And that was like um, one of those moments in life which are um, where nothing is ever the same again because hmm. I'm a bit of a research nerd. So I started researching burnout after I got my own diagnosis, after multiple echocardiograms and MRIs to see what was wrong with my brain or my heart. Um, I got the diagnosis burnout. <laughs> <laughs> it's good news and bad news. Good news and bad news. Actually, I had a great doctor who collected it all, and he said to me, uh, the good news is burnout. The bad news is burnout. You have to change your life. And um, and that really was just a, mo- a revelatory moment because I I saw that this was that burnout was a, the disease of civilization and that hundreds of millions of people around the world are suffering from it many of many with infinitely worse consequences so many of the chronic uh, con- pre-existing conditions that we are now focused on because of their impact on the severity of the coronavirus infection, like diabetes, hypertension, um, obesity, stress, of course, are all so connected to burnout. If you include mental health, we have the data now that shows 90% of um, chronic diseases and mental health conditions are based on our behaviors. 
And a lot of these behaviors are based on the way we lead our lives in this breathless, stressed, stress-induced way where we, we don't value the basic things um, like sleep, like movement, uh, like cultivating um, mental habits that are focused more on gratitude rather than on anxiety. Mm. It, it's it's almost like we've been put in time out right yes. now. <laughs> in a sort of gentle way, it's like uh, it's like a, a, a mother or father saying to the teenager, "Look, you just go to your room and you think about that for a while." Oh, I and love it, that. We've been put on time out for bad behavior. <laughs> and and it, there's an opportunity, and and maybe it's even more than an opportunity in the sense that. It's only if we pick it. It's like we are going to be changed by this. Yes. I'm not sure exactly how, but the status quo has been attacked. It has been whatever we do next is going to be different based upon this. Absolutely. And uh, and it's also, you know, the Chinese ideogram of crisis and opportunity. Mm. Taking this breakdown and turning it into a breakthrough. And, you know, what makes me so optimistic, Greg, is that big changes like the one we're going through now uh, never happen with everybody coming along. We only need a critical mass of people. Uh, That's how change has always happened. So as long as we have a critical mass of people right. recognize that we need to live and work differently, it's, we are going to come out of that in a new normal that is so much more powerful and just and exactly what humanity needed. What does somebody do right now in your view to thrive? Well, Right now, what is very important, and I wrote a piece on that actually that took your word about the coronavirus is forcing us to ask what is truly essential to our life. Mm -hmm. So we need to ask that question. And also, we need to take what at Thrive we call micro steps. Nobody's going to be able to change overnight, but small steps. that affect our mental health, that affect our physical resilience and immunity are absolutely key. And uh, let me just give you some of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Establishing a cutoff point when we stop consuming news around the coronavirus. I, I, I read one of the things you wrote about how instead of consuming constant news and junk, um, you are reading like big books. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, that's the time to do that. It's like, what are we doing with our time? Um, and also, how can we strengthen our own resilience and immunity? How can we uh, make sure we, we get the sleep we need, which is harder and harder for people? Mm-hmm. We are launching, I'm not quite sure when this will air, but in the middle of April, we are launching a partnership with Audible, for example, Um, because right now, sleep, which is foundational to our immunity, is harder and harder to come by for people because of the growing stress and anxiety. So we are releasing, for example, a sleep meditation 
by Didi, you know, Sean Combs. Right. And it's kind of amazing. It put me to sleep last night. Really? Uh, because it's, he has this amazing voice. Uh, it's in his language. And the reason we did it with him is because there are so many people, especially so many African-American men and men generally who think sleep, uh, you know, it's not for a strong man. Right. And, and, and as we see this disproportionate impact of the coronavirus on the African-American community, we wanted to reach people to help them understand that this is actually foundational to their health. And I love the counterintuitive idea of having Didi do this meditation. And we have Nick Jonas do a meditation. So we want to actually use people who have a lot of influence to use that influence to convince people of what they need to do uh, at all times, but absolutely imperative at this time to strengthen their health. I love that you're doing that. I was going to ask you, is that what is truly essential to your life right now? T- turning that question that you pose in that excellent article that's just blown up online, wh- you know, what is truly essential to your life right now? Well, to me, what is truly essential um, on the personal level is that I show up every day at my best. And that means getting enough sleep. Uh, that means um, starting my day. You said with 20 minutes journaling, I start my day with my meditation before I go to my phone. Yes. Um, making sure I I have enough movement. And I can't believe you and I have both given up on sugar. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly feel good. Well, how are you feeling? You're giving up, you're giving up sugar. How are you feeling? Oh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I don't miss it because there are so many great substitutes like Greek pistachios. (laughs) (laughs) The Greeks need to employ you as as the best ambassador for for, for Greece in a long, long time. But I I love that. I I feel like you, that it's easier for me to to end something 100% than to say, I'm going to have uh, sugar once a week only. Yes, I do think I do think that having a single decision. I once decided that for just for one year, I would just drink water and I wouldn't drink anything else. And it was easier to do that once than to have to decide and redecide. You know, every time there's an alternative put before me. Let me ask you this: This is a trickier question, but what is something essential in your life right now that, if you're honest, you're underinvesting in? Like, don't overthink this. Just first thought that comes to your mind. Probably reading uh, philosophy and the big books, Shakespeare, that I love going back to because there's so much wisdom. And every time I go back to them, I'm in a different place and find different things in. Because right now my life is um, is is very regimented in a good way. Mm. I I do what the things I said to make sure I show I show up at my boss my best and most creative and most empathetic. Yes. I am very blessed to be here with my two daughters, my oldest daughter's fiance and my sister. And Horacio, who is a great Thrive Global colleague who is helping me 
do everything I need to do on, on the work front. And Thrive has never been busier. So our, what Thrive was created, which is to help people and companies um, adopt healthier behaviors in order to be healthier, happier, and more productive, is now kind of essential. Mm-hmm. Yes. People before might see it as a nice to have. Now they see it as a must have. Mm-hmm. The demand for what we're doing for our behavior change product, for our services has escalated to the point where we can't hire fast enough to be able to deliver it. So that means that there are a lot uh, of demands on my time, which I love. I'm not in any way... Um, You're not complaining. Complaining. You're very grateful, but it's still causing its own challenge when it comes to deep breathing in the way you just mentioned. Exactly, because um, I find that getting all that done and then having time with my daughters, going on our long walks, uh, having dinner all together, going to sleep in time to be able to get up. <laughs> yes. And that's fine. It's, um, but that, that's the answer to your, to your question. Why does that deep reading matter so much to you? I mean, you're describing it as essential, which means it's very important. Why does that matter so much? Because it, it always helps me put everything in perspective. Hmm. Life is really like, um, it's almost like consists of these two streams. You know, one stream takes us out in the world getting things done. Um, another stream takes us back into ourselves to nurture ourselves, to put things in perspective, to remember what really matters. And deep reading has always helped me do that. Mm-hmm. It centers you. Yes, exactly like what you said about the inspiration you found in John Adams. So, uh, you know, different things um, inspire us and in different ways. In the article that we were just talking about, you quote Jacqueline Hidalgo, uh, chair of religion at Williams College, as saying, it's not just about the end of the world. It helps us see something that was hidden before. And then you add, indeed, apocalypse derives from the Greek apocalypsis, meaning unveiling or revelation. I, I love this, and and I'm wondering for you personally, have you felt an unveiling or revelation recently? And, and if so, what has it been for you? I have felt it more as a deepening of a revelation hmm. because I've been a spiritual seeker all my life. You know, when I was 17, I went to India and studied comparative religion uh, at Shantaniketan University outside Calcutta. Um, I've been meditating ever, ever since I was 13. Uh, uh, I am so uh, profoundly aware of uh, the fact that the essence of every spiritual tradition and every um, philosophy is the same, you know, that we all have by virtue of our birthright, that place of peace, wisdom, and strength in us. And, and tapping into it and, and uh, connecting to it in a deeper and deeper way is the, is life's ultimate purpose. So I've always been conscious of that. But at a time like this, that consciousness is, 
is deepened. Do you feel guided by that process when you're making decisions? When you back to this moment that you were describing before, when you, you sell Huff Post and you could just go and maybe take the the uh, you know the sort of the retirement path, so to speak, uh, and you you did this other thing. Did you feel guided to do that, or was it just a logical thing for you? No, I feel. I mean, I feel guided. I don't know if guided sounds too grand. I feel connected with what what I want to do in my heart, and I've, I can't ever imagine retiring. You know, I love my work. I don't see any division between my work and the rest of my life. I, I mean, I get so much joy from speaking to you now or uh, doing webinars for Salesforce or Accenture or any of our big clients or um, building teams, you know, so that's, um, I mean, God, you know, what would I do instead? Lie on a beach in the south of France? I would be bored to death. I remember Stephen Covey once said to me, he said that, that he believed that retirement the idea of retirement was like a sick concept (laughs) (laughs) that that for him, he said he had no interest. It was very similar to what you just said, you know, that life is a mission more than a career. Mm. It's not a career. It's a mission. And if you happen to have a career as part of a mission, fine. And so therefore the mission never ends. You know, you're going to keep pursuing that mission. Uh, I remember that he, he told me that he'd interviewed uh, Victor Frankl, Uh, the author of Man's Search for Meaning, right before Victor passed away. And he talked to him on the phone and he told me that that Victor said, he's, I mean, he's literally on his deathbed, but he says, I I have a couple of really meaningful projects that I'm working on right now and I'm hoping (laughs) to get done. And, and that sense, I mean, of course, Victor Frankl calls it the, you know, logotherapy, but that sense of meaning and mission I, I sense that in you. It's not really about HuffPost or even Thrive Global. It's a mission and that you're living it in that way. Is that too strong of a way of putting it? No, not at all. And I feel that um, having any kind of impact as we are changing the way we work and live, as we are seeing the casualties of the old way of living proliferating, um, is so key at the moment and so needed. And that's why I love um, kind of that feeling of recognition when I read what you are writing or um, essays right now, like Abu Dharthi Roy, the Indian novelist. I don't know if you read her piece. I haven't. Tell me. She wrote such a beautiful piece in the Financial Times about how important it is for us to see this time as a portal, Hmm. not as something that we need to get through to get back to where we were, um, but as a portal, as a rupture with the old times and the broken way of living. And as she said, let's get through uh, without all the baggage of the past, um, um, ready to imagine a new future and fight for it. These were her last words. Yeah, this, is, this is so beautiful. I, I, I've thought myself recently that we have the great, you know, we had the Great Depression, we had the Great Recession. What I hope for this is that we can have the Great Reset. The Great Reset, exactly. That's the key. It's so interesting because um, in our behavior change app, 
uh, we have a feature that has become the most popular feature called Reset. Really? Which was um, launched in um, before the coronavirus. Sure. And it's a 60-second reset on the grounds that science tells us that it takes 60 seconds to course correct from stress. You know, that's how long it takes for the cortisol hormone to course through your body. Hmm. The rest of the stress happens in our heads. <laughs> so um, Reset asks the user to put together things that are joy triggers for them, that help them focus on what they love in their lives. Like in your case or mine, it could be pictures of our children, our pets, a landscape, a great quote we love, music we love. And then we put it together for them. And anytime they are stressed, they can play it. Oh, that is so brilliant. These are just perspective restorers. Perspective restorers and joy restorers. And so reset, you know, that we have the power to reset during the day. These moments of stress will come. They're inevitable, but we don't have to allow them to be cumulative. In the article that um, that I loved so much, um, you quote Pope Francis uh, and a blessing that he delivered while praying for an end to the coronavirus. Here's what his quote. He says, it is a time to choose what matters and what passes away, a time to separate what is necessary from what is not. And my question, without trying to compare anyone to the Pope or anything like that, is just this. What would your prayer for the world be right now? So my prayer for the world would be, uh, to remember what is a good life, to remember it now, not just um, on our deathbeds, so mm -hmm. that we can live our lives um, in a way that is most meaningful, most essential, and also that gives us the most joy. I think joy is a barometer for me, a barometer of how I'm living my life. It's no longer enough for me to be efficient and productive and get stuff done. <laughs> uh, I want to find the joy in what I'm doing because that, for me, is an indication that I'm on the right path. There's a, a, an Indian um, philosopher who just recently said, in a very beautiful way, the way he put it, but he just said, before people were complaining when they had to go to work now they're complaining that they need to you know, be at home he says please have joy in the work have joy when you're at home otherwise you, you're going to miss the whole thing no matter what the circumstances i love that ariana what a lovely opportunity to talk with you i'm glad that you're well i'm glad that you're safe and i'm glad very very glad that you are on this mission that you are uh, and, and to, to help us all thrive. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. And thank you for being on a very similar mission. I hope we can break bread together on the other side. Amen to that. Thank you again. So there's a wrap on this conversation with Ariana. The only thing I wish is that I could have spent a little longer going even deeper onto the conversations that we had today. And I hope in the future, and I expect we will, get another chance later to go even deeper. I hope you'll consider subscribing for the Essentialism podcast and inviting other people to subscribe along with you. Because what I've learned is that you don't want to be the only essentialist in your world. 
Join us at Essentialism Pod on Twitter. Follow me at Gregory McEwen. Come to Essentialism.com. Sign up for the newsletter and let's build this community together. We've made a few episodes available in advance, along with exclusive bonus content, transcripts, all of that, for those that want to support this community as it grows via Patreon. This podcast was produced out of pocket by myself and my partners at Wheelhouse, so all support is greatly appreciated. I hope that you feel inspired and educated, as I do, in thinking about how we build an essentialism community, because that's a different kind of challenge and a huge opportunity. And there's more to come on that. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.